Okay, folks, here's me pretending to be Matt, pretending to be me, pretending to introduce the show. Here goes. Hello, and welcome to Medium Salt, the show that revisits and regrets old movies that your parents probably shouldn't have let you watch. Today we're talking about the 1990 film Pretty Woman, starring Julia Roberts and Richard Gere, and directed by Gary Marshall. But first, Matt, how are you? I am doing pretty well. That was pretty good, Kate. Oh, thanks. Also, I forgot to say my name. My name's Kate. And this is Matt. <laughs> I knew there was some sort of thing I was missing. However. Yeah. It takes it takes some practice and getting used to. I know. I have to I have to But learn you did to, really good. You did really good. I have to learn to harness my intro voice, you know, my ring circus leader voice. Circus ring leader? Gotta put on the role of the nineteen fifties <laughs> radio host. Hello, yeah. folks. <laughs> Step right up. Come on down to our radio show. Kid seats just five bucks. <laughs> what are you reading? Um, I, you know, I haven't, I haven't been reading a ton this past few weeks. Uh, the daylight savings has got me thrown, and so my mm-hmm. reading time has become sleeping time. Um, I have been playing. I've been enjoying my virtual reality games a lot more recently. Just Ooh, enjoying. I still need to get a set, but I'm afraid if I get one, I'll never do anything else. So it's it's. It's definitely a fun way to play games. And if a game has the option of like VR or not VR, I, I will pick VR every time. Um, I'm waiting for them to come out with a VR Monster Hunter. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I would play I'm the sure there'll be something, something similar at some point. I mean, Monster Hunter's actual technology is about 10 years behind everyone else. Right. So it's going to be a while for me. Yeah. I mean, there's some. I good say stuff. that with all the fondness of my heart because I love the yeah. Monster Hunter franchise. So for me, I also have not been reading, which is a shame. I have been watching a lot of horror movies. It's oh, fun yeah? because my uh, yeah. So my husband Aaron, he when he was 16 went to see the ring with his dad in the movie theater and he was so scared. It's like a family story that's oft repeated. He was so scared he was practically in his dad's lap. Maybe he's 16 or maybe he's 18. Aww. I can't remember. And Aww. so he has held, I know he's held the fear for that movie in his, in his mind mm-hmm. for 15 years. And we finally rewatched it the other day. And as it was coming on and as we were talking about it, I was like, is it really scary? Aaron? Cause he's terrified of it. He's like, every time I suggest, <laughs> I had never seen it. Every time he suggested watching it, I was like, no, it can't be that bad. Cause we've watched a lot of scary movies since then. And he sat through the whole thing, and he's like, oh, my goodness, I'm so good at scary movies now. It was the cutest thing ever. But, yeah, we've been watching, we've been watching a lot of scary movies, so that's fun. Yeah. That's that's particularly funny, because, like, Aaron's really tall. <laughs> he's like, really tall. So I'm picturing, <laughs> and like... his dad and, is not, so... Right. I'm picturing, like, like Scooby-Doo sitting on... on <laughs> on Shaggy's lap or something just like yeah that's appropriate he uh he was just very very scared and the thing that gets Aaron is jump scares like he's not scared of oh I don't like jump scares or anything yeah no it's a cheap trick I'm really enjoying new horror movies that are actually using atmosphere or like folk horror Mm oh such good folk horror has been coming out we should do a whole episode but anyway man speaking of Um, like horror that's one thing horror is one thing like VR 
does really well to bring that conversation oh full circle. Um, <laughs> yeah, I can't do like that. <laughs> even, even games that aren't even that scary become terrifying in you VR. You say that, but like, I can't even play Bioshock by myself. Don't tell anyone. Yeah. <laughs> it's terrifying. Yeah, absolutely. Just pants shittingly terrifying. Oh, <laughs> So now you can shit Maybe. your pants in virtual reality. <laughs> feels like real life (laughs) (laughs) anyway so pretty woman a couple of just basic facts about pretty woman it was eventually produced by disney which is fascinating to me it had a budget of 14 million dollars it made a little over 460 million dollars at the box office it was directed by gary marshall who we have already seen before on this show do you know where we have seen gary marshall i bet you'll be surprised Oh, I probably will be surprised because yeah. I'm trying to think like, so not, not as directing anything. Nope. Because I, I, I'm trying to, I've never said Gary Marshall. Nope. Oh, was he like an actor in something? I found this out and I was tickled to death. So I'm just going to tell oh, you, but yes, yes, he was the devil in Hocus Pocus. Oh, he was Satan when they go in and they're like, oh, master. Yes. Yeah. It was Gary Marshall. Okay, well, that's really fun. Right? And apparently, the only reason that Disney agreed to produce Pretty Woman is they wanted to keep Gary Marshall on, and they thought they wouldn't Mm. be able to keep Gary Marshall as a director working for them if they didn't, I guess, pass him something more serious. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. Um, That makes sense for Disney. But it wasn't done under, like, the Disney label. It was done under one of their other brands. I think Touchstone was the one on this one. Uh, Yeah, Yeah. Touchstone. And then the original production company went under, and that's why Disney took it on. And it's interesting because Gary Marshall later goes on to do Princess Diaries and Princess Diaries 2 and Runaway Bride. And, yeah, so this is very off-brand for Disney. Yeah, so when... Pretty Woman came out. It was Disney's highest grossing film to that point, and its highest ever grossing film that was rated R. So, hmm. yeah, it is still to this day the highest number of ticket sales for a romantic comedy. Fascinating. Yeah, okay. That, yeah. I could see that. I could see right? that. Right? I guess there was a lot of hype about this movie. Also, the thing about this movie being so successful is it kind of became the blueprint for every romantic comedy forward. Um, in terms of like story structure and mm. like the just and almost in a lot of ways the the way the characters are laid out like no every romantic comedy doesn't have a prostitute but the way that <laughs> in fact, <there laughs> if you do <laughs> yeah but but the way that Julia Roberts acts in this film is 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 kind mm. of the same character you see as the like female love interest in romantic comedies moving forward. I don't know what to think about that. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, it could be as a result um, of its success. Uh, uh, story-wise, I think the movie works with some caveats. Yeah. The, the original screenplay was actually very gritty and mm-hmm. dark. Let's go over the basic plot of the movie as it was created. Or as it was published or brought, whatever. As it was in the theaters. So we have our our main female lead who is a down-on-her-luck sex worker. And we have our main male lead who is a heartless corporate person who destroys 
who basically acquires and destroys companies, who is having yeah. a crisis of the soul when we when we meet him essentially, and they come together through some happenstance and. He is charmed by her, and eventually they end up together after a lot of the rest of the movie. (laughs) (laughs) After um, all the Act 2 stuff. Yeah, after everything else. Then they're like, ah, yes, this will definitely work, and they end up together. So that is a very quick summary of this movie. This is definitely one of those movies that I'm like, wow, how was this made? And I mean... It's interesting because it was originally pitched as a very gritty sort of cautionary tale about class warfare and prostitution and drug use. Yeah. And now it's the highest (laughs) selling romantic comedy film by ticket sales of all time, even still. The the next closest one is My Big Fat Greek Wedding. So. It was transformed via many screenwriting changes into this fairy tale romantic comedy. It used to have a bad ending. Now it has a good one. I mean, I think that it works in the same way as like a weird Frankenstein. Now we have a different flavor sort of thing. I think the thing that carries this movie is the chemistry between Julia Roberts and Richard Gere. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that's true. And I think... With any like with any major studio release, there's there is a lot of just transformation that happens as part of the production mm-hmm. process. I know the producers had a lot of input on this film, mm-hmm. um, and I'm sure the fact that Disney got involved had a little bit to do with that. <laughs> Probably. Um, also, it's worth noting that the screenplay writer J. F. Lawton. He um, is thrilled with how it turned out. <laughs> Essentially, yeah, yeah. people 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 try to make it sound like he's really upset, you know, because it sells a better story. Ah, I had this gritty screenplay and they turned it into this whatever. And he's like, no, I was just making gritty stuff because I thought that's what people wanted. And I'm a poor screenwriter. So yeah, <laughs> I just yeah. wanted I mean, this to was, sell this a was, movie. Because this was the early 90s, right? And mm-hmm. like, It was 1990. Know, so, you know, this is... You had all those late 80s, early 90s films, mm-hmm. like we're, we're just about to hit, like in a couple of years, it'll be Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs mm-hmm. and like all that stuff, right? Yeah. Um, so like, yeah, the, the screenwriter wrote this as a, as a gritty thing. I think he was trying to just stand out and do something different from what he was doing and not working. Um, so the fact that the script got transformed never really bothered him because he's a professional. The screenplay he wrote before this was about a one-legged lesbian stand-up comic who was having a hard time and who was addicted to drugs i think or was an alcoholic or something (laughs) so he was like oh people liked that so let me just do this one about a prostitute in class warfare that'll go over well uh the interesting thing about the chemistry is i'm now going to go over a list of the different people who are considered for vivian our female character and the different people that were considered for edward the male lead because for whatever reason this movie just sort of like sifted through every actor in Hollywood at the time. So all of these people were considered for Vivian. Meg Ryan, Drew Barrymore, Winona Ryder, Diane Lane, Molly Ringwald, Joan Cusack, Uma Thurman, and Jodie Foster. That's just a small bit. Some people rejected it because they thought it wasn't a good representation of women. Some people were... So what's interesting is Julia Roberts was 21 when she filmed this movie, and... Richard Gere is 18 years older than she is. Mm. So he was 39 or 40. 
Yeah. They rejected Winona Ryder, Andrew Barrymore for being too young for the role. So I don't know how old they were, but I was like, 21 sounds pretty young too, but okay. Yeah. And um, here are the actors that were considered for Edward, John Travolta, Al Pacino, Christopher Reeve, Sylvester Stallone, Sean Connery, and our personal favorite on the show, Robin Williams. Oh, Can you man. imagine Pretty Woman with Robin Williams instead of Richard Gere? No, that wouldn't kind have worked. Of, that wouldn't it kind of breaks my all. brain. Yeah. That would have been like uh, like Robin Williams' character in Hook. At the beginning, he's supposed to be like a business <laughs> salesman. And just like, mm-hmm. sure, Robin, sure. Sure, sure. You can't <laughs> and then even, again, he, he later on even... he goes and plays psychopaths really well. So, I don't know. Yeah. But it would have been just a totally different tone, right? Like yeah, you can absolutely. see. I think one of the reasons, and in fact, I've read this somewhere, one of the reasons they sort of shifted the story to end the way it did or to go the direction it did is because the chemistry on screen between Richard Gere and Julia Roberts is so good and almost wholesome that it would be just so sad to end tragically, I guess. So they were like, all right, we need to have it end happy. Um, Other fun facts. It was originally going to be called 3000 because that was the amount of money she was paid. And then it got changed to pretty woman because of the song that they use in the show. So that's cool. What was your relationship with this show? When was the first time, or show, movie? What was the first time you ever watched this movie? Do you remember? Yeah, it was about three weeks ago. <laughs> really? You didn't yeah, see I'd, it when you were? I had, I had never seen Pretty Woman. Oh, yeah. That's so way I have, different I have, than. Yeah, I have no attachment to this, uh, especially compared to your relationship with this film. <laughs> yeah, my super shitty, somewhat problematic relationship with this film. Yeah, I was thinking about it a lot as I was rewatching it again as an adult because I have not seen it in a very long time. Uh, back in the 90s, before we had streaming services, you basically just had the VHS tapes your parents purchased that you had access to, right? And so we had a big cabinet of movies. And I had a lot of unsupervised time on my hands. Yay, the <laughs> 90s. And so. I ended up watching Pretty Woman a lot, and it became one of my favorite movies. I even tried to take it on a sleepover once when I was like 11 or 12 to a friend's mm-hmm. house, and her mom had to be like, yeah, we're not we're not taking that movie. And I didn't understand because I didn't understand. To me, the fairy tale part came across. Mm. As I was watching it today, I realized, so I, <laughs> let's get real serious the first time I was ever sexually assaulted, I was about 10 or 11. And so I think that watching this movie, especially at that time in my life, because uh, bad stuff happens to her. Like she gets kind of accosted by Richard Gere's lawyer who treats mm-hmm. her like, you know, like a an object, regardless yeah. of... Hey, George Costanza, what are you doing, bud? <laughs> yeah, why are you... Well, he makes such What's a good up with creep. That? Yeah, so he he tries to take it. He tries to have his way with her ever from like from the first moment he realizes or he learns that she is a as a sex worker. He wants to take advantage of her and it's horrible. But anyway, so I think in my little like 11 or 12 year old brain, I was like, oh, look, bad stuff happened to her. But then she got rescued and everything ended up happily and she gets to live with Richard Gere, who's nice to her. And now I'm like, oh, poor baby Caitlin. I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah. But anyway. Um, yeah. Like the, I keep in all the marketing material and everything 
Mm-hmm. And even today, everyone's like, it's the Cinderella story and blah, blah, blah. And like, honestly, I'm like, I'm watching it. It's like, this is not, it's not Cinderella. There's nothing mm-hmm. Cinderella about this. I don't understand where the Cinderella thing comes from. They try to play it really hard. They do. I, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it at all. Like nothing in the movie references Cinderella. Nothing in the That's movie not tries true. to. Kit says Cinderella. Remember when she says, who has, who, who does this work out for? And Kit, her friend, when they're, when she comes to visit her at the hotel says, Cinder fucking Ella. Oh yeah. So like the, the thing that they try to play it as, right. Cause she's in a tower like Rapunzel and he comes and saves her. And also the fairy godmother is supposed to be Hector Elizondo. Yeah. Mm. Uh, he plays Barney. Yes. He's the fairy godmother because he like sets her up with the dress. And so you can see his character in this film. Yes. He's the one who I was talking about. He's the best. And he always plays. He's such an interesting actor because he kind of. He is in so many things and I recognize him every time, but he's not. He's not the star of anything. Right. Mm. He was the one that I was going to talk about. You've seen Avatar, the last airbender, right? The I've seen like the animated, like the good one. Yeah, yeah. the animated one. Yeah. Um, in the episode where they go into the magical library that's kind of buried under the desert, he's yeah. the owl. Oh, that's he's the awesome. owl spirit. Yeah, he's that's that awesome. voice. And I was like, oh, what a good character because he does a lot of voice acting work. So, so you can kind of see how they're trying to go for the the fairy tale vibe. Yeah, but there's a lot of things uh, wrong with it. Yeah. I think the first thing that struck me, there are a couple of things. Well, that's what this whole this whole podcast is about. Okay, so when we first meet our, our main character, she is wearing a blonde wig. And she is going, she tries to find rent money that I guess they store in the toilet tank for some reason. There's yeah. a lot of atmospheric things that kind of point to a darker reality than we are than we are brought into gaze at like we're supposed to take away these surface understandings that this is bad but not have to contemplate them too much so she goes to the toilet tank to like get her cash out right and there's only like a dollar in there and so she doesn't have any rent money she avoids the landlord by going out the fire escape, which sets up, you know, it's Chekhov's fire escape. It gets used later, right? Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> um, she goes and confronts her friend about, uh, you know, her friend slash roommate about the rent money. And her friend slash roommate says, her, her name is Kit. She says, oh, I threw a party and I needed it. And I still owe this pimp character, Carlos, $200. And so we're set up... <laughs> With our understanding of economic desperation, right? Right. As Vivian is going to find Kit, there's a woman dead in the street who she knows, which is (laughs) horrific. And there are people from Orlando, I guess, tourists who are trying to take pictures of the dead body of this sex worker in the street. And for the tone of the rest of the movie, this is very, very serious. Yeah, the beginning of the movie definitely doesn't match the rest of the movie. <laughs> right? Everything is played so lighthearted, but it's horrific, right? So we have drug use, but it's very important that we know Vivian does not use drugs. Right. Because if you're a sex worker, well, that, that, yeah. you're okay. Right. 
but the using drugs is too far, and that makes you unworthy of decent human decency, basically. Obviously. Obviously. Which bothers me a lot. A Mm -hmm. lot, a lot. Because the rates of drug use in, you know, these populations are very high for a variety of reasons. You're much like you're much more likely to participate in drugs or be given drugs or need drugs to survive your day-to-day life. And it's interesting that drugs are still made to be the bad guy, especially considering the fact that the movie was originally going to have her addicted to drugs and she was Mm. going to have to promised not do cocaine for a week if she stayed with him. That was the original like thing in the movie. But the actual movie, she goes into the bathroom. He thinks that she's hiding drugs and she's hiding dental floss because she just ate strawberries. I call bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, this the whole beginning of the movie is like this really weird, completely poor representation of, of what that life could even entail for our main characters and like like the the way that it represents the like the pimp relationship as like kit is the one with the problem Mm -hmm. um for being irresponsible with money Mm -hmm. you know the 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 dead prostitute had a problem with drugs and so it's her fault Mm -hmm. Uh, you know it's just it's all really like it just feels super victim blamey super Mm -hmm. like your life sucks because of you Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Yeah, you know. which is weird because our which is main weird for character because yeah is a sex worker, right? And yeah, so we're- and whose bootstraps turn out to be just like nailing some rich dude, like <laughs> <laughs> and having really nice curly red hair that she decides to hide at the beginning for some reason. Right, so which you can do I the also reveal. do not get. So like wigs <laughs> are very uncomfortable and very hot, and they don't stay on very well, and. They're especially hot when you have that much hair. Why? Why is she wearing a blonde wig? I don't understand. Because it's, I think that they needed some sort of physical representation of slipping from the whore into a woman. Right. Like, role, right? Right. So, or maybe ah, she's yes. like, she goes into character, like, like. Yeah, like, like some like sort of mask. The sex work is a job. It's not who she is. I'm just mm-hmm, like, yeah, mm-hmm. that's, you know, I imagine most. <laughs> yeah, it's not like everyone, like she says, nobody necessarily dreams of being this. However, yeah. it's, this is a really difficult topic because a lot of people are driven to sex work by economic desperation and trauma and a lot of bad things. Sex work on its own is not bad. Exploitation is bad, right? And mm-hmm. there's a lot of comorbidities that happen with sex work, largely because it's not regulated, it's not legal. And so you have this really, really vulnerable population of women and men and trans women and everybody, like anyone who's in this in this field, because if a crime happens to you, you can't report it. You know, you don't have any recourse and there's no, you basically have to do all of your own safety checking, yeah. right? Yeah, and then in, the, in this film, you know, plays it as if they are complicit in this system that degrades and abuses them, mm-hmm. and it's like that's kind of that's kind of messed up. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. So I did a little bit of reading about 
sex work. I was trying to figure out the rate of drug use amongst sex workers. I kept finding things about HIV prevalence mm-hmm. in sex workers. Yeah. I mean, I, d- I don't imagine the data on an illicit activity like that is like super comprehensive. Yeah. It's not very reliable. Yeah. You know, usually you have a lot of data about people who get mixed up into the criminal justice, criminal justice system. It's also interesting because sex work has very strict hierarchies. So you have very expensive call girls who don't have to worry about this as much. And then you have all the way down to street walkers, which is what Mm. this, you know, people who work the streets, which is what this movie is meant to represent, right? Like that's how we Mm. meet Vivian. Obviously the risks that go along with that change based on whatever tier you're in. Mm-hmm. So, but according to this film, they're all streetwalkers. Yes, of course. Every, every single prostitute every, is a streetwalker. Every prostitute is a streetwalker, yeah. which is not true. But you know, and in it's infinite wisdom. Congress decided, you know what? We're going to help stop sex trafficking. What we're going to do is we're going to shut down all the online platforms. No sex workers will ever work online again. Uh, which you know sucks <laughs> because yeah. that was one of the safest most reliable ways for sex workers to find clients and vet them and have these, these systems in place because it's much more dangerous to stand on the street and just have strangers approach you. Right. Versus having control over who you can contact and who you're willing to work with. Another interesting thing, our favorite governor, not our favorite governor. That was sarcasm. Greg Abbott um, made a, uh, made paying for sex a felony. Texas is the first state where paying for sex was a felony and it's punishable up to two years for a prison time for a first time offense. So if you solicit sex from a sex worker, you can get two years in prison. I, uh, I don't have a lot to say on that cause I'm woefully undereducated on it. Yeah. It's just interesting because so much of the regulation and the attempts at this falls almost in the same realm of save the children sort of rhetoric. Mm. So a lot of the things that they do to try to prevent prostitution is to, it used to be to stop the supply and now they're shifting to stopping the demand, but never anywhere is it let's help the people who are doing this. Right. right? We're not going to give them social safety nets. We're not going to provide them with health insurance we're not going to make sure they have safe places to live. We're just going to take away their income stream and see right, what happens. Right, just going to make make it more dangerous for mm-hmm. them. Exactly. Yeah, because now it's even worse, right? The more the more serious you make the consequences, the less likely people are going to interact with the criminal justice system in the event of any exploitation or, you know, the, the rates of rape against sex workers are astronomically high mm-hmm. and and largely underreported and largely because underreported of, yeah. because so they're they're high well, and underreported so like yeah, which means even they're even worse. higher yeah <laughs> yeah like a lot of times it'll be it'll be anonymous surveys and stuff like that that they get this data from not actually you know police reports because of this reason right you know social workers mm-hmm. will work with these women but they're not going to like women themselves don't report rape very readily because the system is not made to help. Right. They don't get to punish that. So like, yeah, (laughs) it's just a, 
But in this film, it's just a job that you deserve. (laughs) (sighs) And like, weirdly, I don't know. I just, I felt really weird about like the complete lack of like POC representation in this film. Mm -hmm. The only people of color were literally the sex workers and the help. I don't even think there were a lot of people of color sex workers. There was like... Well, Kit was a Hispanic, I think. Oh, okay. Well, I was thinking... And yeah, okay. So, like, the only um, the only other, like, minorities in this film that I can think of are, like, the two black, um, like, the, the one that was, like, a limo driver. Mm-hmm. And, um... Daryl? There was the, come to Hollywood, you got a dream, everybody's got a dream. Yeah, guy yeah, black. that guy. That guy who was cool. Um, completely unimportant to the... <laughs> Bus boys and limo drivers and and the dream guy. That's like the that's like the only people I could think of. Yep. Yeah. And I mean, we're also we're also setting this movie in one of the greatest places of wealth disparity in the country, mm-hmm. fucking Beverly Hills, right? Mm-hmm. Where you have people with absurdly expensive houses next to just complete impoverishment. I guess actually maybe Brazil's worse, but <laughs> um, if you've ever seen those pictures of. You know, like the slums yeah. that are right next to those really expensive gated mansions. It's just devastating to see. Yeah. So even with the representation of some of the seedier parts of this, they still kind of glamorize it, right? Oh, absolutely. It's it's weird. Mm-hmm. It's bizarre. It's so glamorized. Um, An 11-year-old girl thought it was a good movie. So <laughs> yeah. What is your least favorite part about this movie? Um, I don't like how naive Julia Roberts' character was about everything. Like, she had never had a life before what she's doing now, unless they're, like, specifically represent, like, unless she's trying to explain, like, a random skill or knowledge she has, like, about Mm -hmm. cars or whatever. She doesn't have a history. So, like, Mm -hmm. just, like, shopping, (laughs) like... Doing mm-hmm. stuff was like a completely like new experience for her. Um and like I think there's there's definitely a lot there that that they could have played with. I think I think the wire did it did that same scene infinitely better. But like when she goes when she goes shopping and none of them take her seriously as a as a client. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. but like she was just so overwhelmed with everything. Mm-hmm. Like I just it was it was to me it was like really childish. Like they, they were like specifically like making her more naive. Infantilizing um, her. Yeah. So she could be saved. Yeah. Yeah. Like they put her in a position where she was completely unable to help herself. And I just mm-hmm. found that weird. That's what I think that bothered me the most. Yeah. If I may add some flavor to that. So I agree that we don't know a lot about her history, but what we do know is really sad. Mm-hmm. So I think I was looking for it, but there are a lot of very small things that happen that point to a really traumatic childhood. So she talks about how she can only attract bums, right? Bum after bum after bum. Every guy that she's dated is a bum. Mm-hmm. She drops out of high school when she's in the 11th grade. We don't know why, but that doesn't usually happen for a good reason. Maybe she got pregnant by said bum. Maybe she had to work because her family, you know, her parents or her mom are addicted to drugs or something. We don't know, right? We just know that she didn't finish high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and the part when she's talking about how she used to pretend she was a princess, 
Before that, the reason she's doing it is because her mother locked her in the attic frequently. Because she was bad, quote unquote. And she's like, oh, I was bad a lot. So she still has this internalized image that she deserves this treatment. And you can kind of see her grappling with her own agency and self-respect throughout the course of the film. Another thing that she says is when, what's his name, Stucky? When George Costanza hits her across the (laughs) face and Richard Gere comes and saves her and he's holding ice up to her face, she says something like, why do men always know exactly how to hit women? They Like, do they teach Mm. you in a class? Which means she has been hit before across the face multiple times. We don't know when. We don't know why. We just know that she's not she's not unaccustomed to this treatment. Mm-hmm. So she uh she's not doing so great. Like she doesn't have a she doesn't have a good life. And the economic desperation that got her into this point was sort of alluded to because she came out to California following some guy. He's gone. She tried to work at some fast food places, but this is America. You can't afford to live by yourself with a McDonald's job, you know? So mm-hmm. she turned to prostitution. Yeah. But I do agree with you that I think that she would have, she, she has a bubbliness that hasn't been worn off yet, which is one of the things that got, yeah. got Richard Gere's attention. Right. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that I is a like- little bit difficult to believe. Yeah. I also feel like the film has a whole, which is weird given the original kind of version of the script. I feel like the film as it, as it, as it was made is it it has a very patronizing kind of view of the lower and working class people Mm -hmm. like, and and glorifies Richard Gere's life. Mm -hmm. If not his attitude, his lifestyle is certainly like, Look at this guy. He's got everything. The only thing is he's got, he's kind of got a crappy personality or whatever. Right. Like, yeah, but he's got the like all this time... stuff and everyone mm-hmm. loves him, even though he's kind of a jerk. Like you're absolutely right. Right. Like being him is winning, you know? Yeah. And I know that they try to kind of tone that back at the end. She says, well, I'm going to rescue you right back. Right. It's supposed to, it's supposed to be, a mutual thing, but what they don't talk about is this is this power dynamic. He's consenting to save her, essentially, right? Mm-hmm. She she takes the money that he gave her and she's gonna plan on going to San Francisco to do something else. We don't know what that is, but San Francisco's expensive too. And the first time we see him, he is breaking up with in a very unemotional way a person who's currently living with him. Mm-hmm. who he only very briefly mentions later, right? And it's like, oh, okay. Uh, cool? <laughs> like, I don't know why, like, uh, within a day, he's replaced her with this new woman he literally met on the street? Okay. So, at least up till that point, he treated women like objects or something like that, right? And this is an established part of his character, because he talks to another woman at the very same party and says, did I, did I... Did you talk to my secretary more than you talked to me? And she said, yeah, she was one of my bridesmaids at my wedding. Because this woman has since moved on from Richard Gere Mm -hmm. to marry someone else. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they do some things to make him seem more interesting than just being rich. You know, he's got the, oh, my my dad was mean to me and left my mom backstory. And, oh, I play the piano really well, but only for the help. Right. 
I love the opera. What's interesting is the opera they go to see is actually about a prostitute falling in love with a, a wealthy man. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, was it La Traviata? Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. The Fallen Woman. Yeah, which uh, I feel like Fallen Woman. <laughs> um, which like I, I kind of like looked up a little bit because I wasn't a hundred percent. I like I didn't know that that opera at all. Um, I don't know much about it aside from that blurb that I read. Do you want to tell me more about it? Um, you know it's 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 split into three acts. Um, act one, Violetta, the fallen woman, is a prostitute meets Alfredo. Um, and then Alfredo has fallen in love with Violetta. And by the end of act, uh, there's kind of a time skip between act one and act two, and they they had gotten married. Um, and they live together in the country. They're happy, but they're poor. Um. Did he lose all of his wealth? Um, yeah, like, because, uh, like, by marrying a prostitute, he was cut off from, like, gotcha. the family or whatever. So, you know, Alfredo is embarrassed, and he seeks his fortune. So he goes to seek his fortune in Paris, and that's when Alfredo's dad comes in and says, Hey, uh, you're kind of fucking up my son's life. So, uh, GTFO, maybe? It'd be better for everybody? <laughs> Violetta's like, oh, you're right. <laughs> leaves Alfredo and becomes uh, returns to her life as a courtesan, and then uh, Alfredo and Violetta they 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 have a big fight about it, and so they split, and the years go by or whatever. And Violetta um, turns out has consumption, which we later we now know as tuberculosis. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, everybody's sad, and Alfredo uh, is trying to get. Back to Violetta because like they're they're separated by a far. Alfredo's trying to get back to 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 Violetta, and the big like thing is like, is Alfredo gonna see her before she dies? Yeah, but barely. And then so like as she's dying, she's like, you know, find a better lover. Bye. Wow. You know. Well, that's really depressing. <laughs> it is really depressing. <laughs> huh. Which Take like I, I I tried to draw some parallels to like the movie to be like okay why this opera why was this opera the featured opera in you know the just story? a very basic beginning like, part because yeah, nothing like bad happens a, to them right there's a prostitute that's that's what it is it's, <laughs> it's, it's an opera about a prostitute and our prostitute and a rich goes to the opera and even if it was mm-hmm. just like just like she like if Julia Roberts' character just just like was really touched by that opera because of her own experience, right? Maybe. Mm-hmm. So it was like the tragedy was even more tragic for her, like her being mm-hmm. exposed to this, you know, high culture. Look how mm-hmm. universal this high culture stuff is. Even a mm-hmm. even a lowly prostitute can appreciate Could opera. It. Yeah, I had I took issue with that as well because basically. She's only she's only okay because she likes the things that he likes and because she can fit into his world. Mm-hmm. Right? Not because of who she is. Like they don't I think they do one thing that she suggests and that's where they go and they sit and they have a picnic in the grass. Yeah. Right? I think that would have been he, a, a more well-rounded film. That's like kind of one of my big that's one of my other big criticisms about this movie is like you have a lot of and this is why I think this movie is like a little classist. Like you have you, you have the prostitute being pulled into the rich person's world and she has to like mm-hmm. adapt to that. But at no point did they ever flip the script and have like Richard Gere's character have to adapt to a lower class lifestyle where mm-hmm. Julia Roberts is in is in power. 
Right. Right. So throughout the whole movie, she's entirely subservient to him and his interests and like what he's doing. Yeah. She slowly gains power to the point where she's like, I'm going to leave because you told your lawyer that I am a prostitute that you met and you made me feel terrible and I'm going to leave. Right. She's waiting outside Mm -hmm. the elevator, but he comes and he does the thing where he's like, Oh, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. Would you please (laughs) just come back in? And she's like, Oh, okay. You know, but you're right. The power dynamic is not something that you can ignore. Yeah. And of course, of course, Richard Gere's character is infatuated with this woman who is literally paid to do everything he says. (laughs) And I mean, she's, she's charming, right? She's very charming. Like that's, that's her character's point in the movie. Right. And Mm -hmm. Julia Roberts in general is just like, super charming like yeah, on screen what's funny like, is richard Gere was going to turn down this film and julie roberts when he was reading for it passed him a post-it note that said please take it please say mm. yes and so he did so julie roberts is the one who like got richard Gere to be in this movie which i think is funny the the closest we get to richard Gere coming down to earth is basically him not being a dick anymore from a business sense right Right. Which comes kind of out of nowhere, because at no point does he actually, like, at no point is he forced to learn that kind of lesson. It just kind of happens. Well, like, you can see her causing him to start questioning himself, and you see different, different, like, it's it's all happening in turn, internally, admittedly, right? Like, he mm-hmm. tells his story about why he became the way he is. Because his father left his mother and they were destitute and somehow he turned that around and became very rich. And the third company he ever bought and took apart was his father's. Mm-hmm. And his father just mo- died the month previously. So like when we meet him, it's a, it's a dark night of the soul moment. Like he's having a personal crisis. Because um, we meet him when he's getting this contract for like this billion dollar something or other ship building enterprise or whatever from this nice old man. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I take your point in that it's like, oh, all of these changes are happening very suddenly. You went from a person who is like, yes, I can definitely pay a woman to be my woman for a week to now I'm going to love her and take days off and also decide to to help build ships instead of just destroying companies for money. It's a big change. Yeah. Should we talk about Barney real quick? Let's talk about Barney. I love because Barney. I, I love Barney. I do too. I love. I absolutely I love, love everything about Barney in this movie. I love his I first too. scene where I'm sitting there like they. It's played as he's trouble, like he's coming to like he is like he's played as like the uptight hotel manager who is mm-hmm. probably going to try and get rid of this prostitute that's hanging out in his mm-hmm. hotel. And then Victor it turns Elizondo out is wonderful. He's yeah. just wonderful in everything. And then it turns out. He's just a big old softy. He's a big mm-hmm. sweet dude who's awesome. And he likes her. Mm-hmm. He's a working class dude. He became the manager of this really fancy hotel. Yeah. Uh, but you can kind of tell that he clearly worked for it and he cares a lot about it, right? Yeah. That would have been cool to see more of like, you know, his own kind of like, well, he he understands her plight because he rose up. Like mm-hmm. he, they have more in common than they have not in common, some class solidarity, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I wish we'd seen more of that too, because it's the worlds are so strictly separated. Mm-hmm. Like we never see Richard Gere communicate with anyone that Vivian knew. Right? Yeah, yeah. 
One scene with Kit would have been interesting. Yeah, we see him next to Kit when he buys flowers at the very end. But ah. they don't talk. They're just in the same place. Oh, weird. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Barney is nice. I wish he was in the movie more. Right? <laughs> he's, the, he's the fairy godmother character. He's so mm-hmm. good. He helps her get clothes. He He, like, hooks her up with Bridget, who's a super nice lady, you know? So, like, she goes in wearing her, you know, street outfit because that's all she had. And Bridget's like, oh, you must be Vivian. Come on in. And as they're walking up the stairs, Vivian goes, you know, I'm not his niece, right? And she says, they never are. Like, this is clearly (laughs) something that she's done before. And she's not phased by it at all. You know, she's like, yeah, let's get you a really nice dress. And oh, my God, the dress that she gets, that black dress with the cool Mm. lace thing for the necklace and oh, so pretty. I was like, oh, she's a princess. <laughs> <laughs> the only one Big. that's better is the red dress she wears to the opera, which I was like, oh, it's amazing. And of course, she gets to go tell off those, uh, the, sto- oh, the, yes. the stuffy storm owners, which was great. But yeah, we're supposed to really enjoy that moment. But we also, yeah. it creates this women against women sort of thing because those women, while they were also super shitty to her, they are working class people. They're not people shopping at their own store. They're people who are there trying to sell things. And I mean, they're made to be the bad guys. Right. Mm-hmm. But yeah. And they do suck. <laughs> However, she's got her nice dress now. So that's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Barney set her up. Um, and then Barney had set her up. So she got to, to dinner mm-hmm. and, um, this bit of trivia actually already made like it had made the rounds on Reddit and stuff. So most people probably already know this, but uh, when she's, uh, what was she eating? Was it snails? Escargot. Escargot. Mm-hmm. And like the, 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 like flies off and like hits somebody in the mm-hmm. head or yeah, whatever. And the, he catches it. Some the guy, dude yeah, off the, the side waiter catches, catches it. it and he says happens all the time. Mm-hmm. That dude has said that line in like every Gary Marshall film. Scene. I love that. That's hilarious. Right? So like, mm-hmm. what was it? Uh, Princess oh, Diaries? Princess Diaries. Yeah. Like, happens all the happens time. Happens all the time. <laughs> yeah. So like, there's this, there's, there's this, like, what was it? Gary Marshall verse. <laughs> yeah. Continuity. Well, it's interesting because Hector, Hector Elizondo is in a lot of Gary Marshall movies. And in fact, when Hector Elizondo was hired to do this movie, Disney didn't want to pay him. They didn't want to provide money for his salary. So Gary Marshall paid him out of his own money until he was reimbursed. Oh, weird. Right? Why? Like, he wanted Hector Elizondo so badly. I don't know. Hector Elizondo makes this movie. So That's weird. You know? A couple of other funny things. So, the scene where Richard Gere snaps the necklace case closed on Julia Roberts' hands, right? He gets that necklace that he borrowed from the jewelry store for her to wear to the opera. That was actually him really doing that. And her laughing was her real response because she wasn't expecting it. He just decided to do that. And they kept right, it in the movie. Improv. Yeah. Uh-huh, which is which is great because you can yeah. tell that they just have a really fun chemistry. Yeah. Um, and that reaction, of course, just it felt really genuine and honest. And that really helps sell the character <laughs> her, like, on laughing. Yeah. yeah. They actually made her character in the movie from Georgia because Julia Roberts is from Georgia and had an accent. And they were worried that it wouldn't be explainable. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I was like, okay, that's cool. <laughs> California. Um, I like that they worry so much, but the whole hocus, yeah, hocus pocus movie full of Bostonites. None of right. them have any sort of accent. 
Right. <laughs> we care about it now. Um, mm-hmm. Also, apparently, in the first sex scene with Richard Gere, Julia Roberts was so nervous, she broke out into hives. And oh, they had man. to, like, rub calamine lotion on her. <laughs> no. And she was so That's stressed awful. out. Right? So, oh. like, Gary Marshall and Richard Gere were trying to calm her down. Because she's, like, no. a 21-year-old actress. Before yeah, this, she yeah. starred in a couple of things, but... Yeah, those scenes are always like, those scenes are always a little awkward on set, even among Mm -hmm. like professionals and stuff. It's just, it's a really vulnerable moment for like everyone. Yeah, you have to make it believable, but then you're like, well, and you show so many parts of your body and everyone's staring at you and you're very well lit, which is disturbing. (laughs) Yeah, and uncomfortable, by the way. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because those lights, um, you know, especially back then, nowadays we got like all this LED stuff it's like wonderful but back then it was all you know incandescent halogen bulbs and incandescents and arc lights if you were um you know particularly old school um, so they're really hot is that what you're saying really warm stupid oh. warm. like you could heat a room with one of those lights easy and you've probably got you know a couple dozen on any given set right I hadn't it's awful it's the most uncomfortable thing because you got to turn off terrible. like all the hvac stuff too because that all makes noise you're trying to capture oh, no. good sound. So it's yeah. just warm and stuffy and awful. One thing mm-hmm. I and do want to And you're naked with Richard Gere. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you're like, oh, no, I hope Richard Gere doesn't see anything weird on me. <laughs> yeah, he will. <laughs> but you also get to see uh, all the weird stuff on him. So, you know. Oh, yeah. Um, one thing about, I will say about the sex scenes in this film is that uh, I think there are like three like really mm. big ones. And the, the the way they're played is actually really intelligently done. Mm. Um, there's like the first sex scene in the bed. I think it's, and then there's the second one on the piano. Oh, I have something about the piano. Remind me. I might have those two mixed up, but like the thing is, is like the first, the first sex scenes are played very uncomfortably. Mm-hmm. Right. There's no music. Like all sound is cut off except for like sound effects and of mm-hmm. stuff moving around. It's it's like very uncomfortable. It's, it's not played. It's played clinically and mechanically. Right. And then, that's true. She mutes the TV in the first sex scene. Yeah. And then after, you know, they they it becomes personal and kiss on the mouth. That sex scene music swells. I didn't notice that. That's really cool. Yeah, so it's a little trick they did just to make that that kind of character moment more mm-hmm. impactful to watch, mm-hmm. which was like one really good. I think they won like a golden, they, they won some award for the sound design in the film, which I think that was, for that moment alone, I'd give it, you know? Yeah. Um, about the piano, they actually took out the original piano sounds that they were making when they were on the piano and added in fake discordant piano sounds because yeah, the real ones that, yeah. were too discordant. And I'm so proud of myself because I found this out after I watched the movie. But as I was watching, I was like, that's not how that would sound. That would yeah. sound way worse. Like, that's clearly, this is a nice discordant sound, not mm-hmm. a, actually sitting on a piano, which probably sounds yeah. horrible. I, mean, any, I think anybody who's been in a room with a toddler and a piano. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anybody that's been in a room with a toddler and a piano knows what hell is like. <laughs> Yeah. Oh man, I've got I've got mm. friends and they've got they've got two kids, two toddlers, twin toddlers, and a piano. Oh, 
I'm just like, I, they, they must have better filters than I do. Cause <laughs> <laughs> that would drive me nuts if I had to yeah, listen to does, that all the time. Does the piano have a lock on it? I mean, I'm sure it does. I don't know if they lock it. It's never been locked when I've been there. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> yeah. Hey, they all, I'm sure they'll all be able to play very good piano soon. Hmm, I hope so. Only if they want to, though. Yeah. As we as we take our conversation back to child actors, it's difficult to know what a child wants to do and what they're being forced into doing. Mm-hmm. So we talked a lot about sex work already. But what's interesting is sex work is clearly prevalent in this universe. Like when Edward first tells his lawyer, what's his face, Stucky, um, how he met Vivian. Stucky says something like only you would pick up a two bit prostitute or something on the street instead of what clearly they would normally have done. I guess Stucky would normally do, which is like get an escort or something, right? Like a higher class. Mm-hmm. Cause that's kind of the implication there. And of course he immediately treats her terribly the whole time, even though, you know, <laughs> sex work is a job. She should mm-hmm. be treated with respect, just like you treat anyone who's working with respect because they are a person. Right. Yeah. So, also, Stucky's not the one paying the bill. So, you know, yeah, <laughs> he's just, a horrible character with no redeeming attributes mm-hmm. at all. He's terrible to his wife. Like he is, he is soliciting Vivian for sex while his wife is there at the polo match with him. Yeah. Yeah. So, also fucking polo match. <laughs> also polo, the most white. Why does this film have a polo match? Like that, <laughs> that, 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 that's, I have a note here. Like I take notes when I'm watching the film. So I'm just like big mm-hmm. cap. Polo? Question mark? Question mark? (laughs) Why the fuck are we watching Polo so that we all get to feel uncomfortable? Like, yeah, like, oh, we're the... Right. They needed something like, what's what's something super rich posh people do so we can put Julia Roberts' character in her place? Fucking Polo. Fucking Polo. Um, It's also interesting because the reason they're at the Polo match is because of the grandson of the man whose company they're trying to buy. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they go to the Polo match for that. That kind of, I actually didn't consider that until now, but it seems like a generational wealth growth sort of thing, because we are led to believe that the, the grandfather of this man came from humble roots and grew his company over 40 years. And the grandson plays fucking polo. So <laughs> it's like, aha, <laughs> how, the, how the tables have turned. Um, yeah. But I do, I do like that her charisma. Well, I have one complaint. Her charisma does not rub off on any women. It only rubs off on men, mm-hmm. which is problematic. Um, but I do like that her charisma is appreciated. Like, I think she plays a really charming character. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I think, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> The polo scene. I think it's just another example of like how Julie Roberts' character is just constantly beholden to mm-hmm. gear throughout the whole movie. Like constantly fish out of water, never quite adapts to the place, and he just keeps moving her into deeper water with every scene. Right. So, so at the end, 
they they had had a big fight. That was like kind of the climax, like big, oh no, falling out before they get back together kind of thing. The reason they fought is he offered to put her up in a condo and I guess make her a kept woman, but not actually romantically is kind of the takeaway, right? I want to see you again and I'll pay for your apartment and whatever. Right. It's interesting that she says no. This I is actually a so thing weird. that I, I find that yeah. so weird. Like, like she has this economic desperation. She wants mm-hmm. out of this mm-hmm. lifestyle, yeah. but not enough to compromise her idea of what love is. Right. Which is like, I kind of get that, that part, the love part, right? Cause at this point it's already personal, mm-hmm. but I'm sitting there. I'm like, okay, so take the you, fucking money, take the money. <laughs> you could, you could be a prostitute in an apartment that your roommate steals all your money. Or you're mm-hmm. a prostitute that lives like in a nice apartment that your one rich client you have to worry about pays for. And then in yeah. your off time, you can do whatever you want. And I mean, I get it because she wants autonomy and she wants agency. And that is a thread throughout the entire movie, right? I say mm-hmm. when, I say who, I say how much. Yeah. And she doesn't want to give up that freedom, especially because maybe she's done that so many times in the past with the previous men that she alluded to, right? She followed mm-hmm. one all the way out to California, and she doesn't want to make those mistakes again. Yeah. Which I guess I can understand. Yeah. I, 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 but also, I, I it's fucking America. I, you know? Right. <laughs> like, I, I also don't know that the film just really communicated that well enough for mm-hmm. that to play to me. You right. Know? It definitely seemed like, oh my God, fucking take this money. You can work on him yeah. longer, and he'll fall in love with you eventually, but take the money. You know? Right. Like, like you either you either take the money. I mean, I guess her her plan was to to run away with the money she had already made anyway. Yeah, the three thousand dollars. So maybe she had she in her yeah. mind she already had her freedom. So I'll give it. that. I guess you can I'll hawk your that. clothes too. Like, yeah. what are you going to do? You're going to wear all these clothes. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, for fuck's sake, your roommate is literally eating bar garnishes for dinner, mm. right? Like yeah. Kit at the very beginning is eating like orange slices and maraschino cherries from behind the bar because they're so broke. They cannot mm-hmm. afford food. So. But then, um, but then of course, Richard Gere is like, wait, I do care about personal relationships and attachments. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to go, I'm going to go be a knight in shining armor moment. And there's something like mm-hmm. very, I don't know what it is. I think it's the umbrella. But there's something mm. like very classic Hollywood about that scene. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the stupid umbrella. Because you don't see, like, people don't carry umbrellas in movies anymore. Unless you're right, the especially penguin. not such long ones. Right. right. And so he, he like, walks up for and, that. He, you know, he uses his umbrella to, like, hook the fire escape ladder down and climb mm-hmm. up the, the tower to save the princess. And, I, and he's in the suit and the umbrella and everything. I think he's got even the hat. And I'm just like, this is something very classic Hollywood about this. I don't this. think he and has I, a hat I on. I kind of like it. Well, in my head, he has a hat. In a my top head, hat, canon. really tall one. No, 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 like 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 classic Hollywood and like kind of like fedora type of thing. Oh, okay. Yeah, I dig it. I don't know, <laughs> <laughs> but there's this, um, that scene was like entertaining to watch for that to me. I d- I don't know mm-hmm. what what it was. It just felt yeah. It's the it's the culmination of the fairy tale, right? It's the payoff. Yeah, yeah. I think anytime I see an umbrella now, I'm just gonna think classic Hollywood. <laughs> it's, gonna... it's interesting because he's carrying the umbrella in the hotel lobby before he's even decided to mm. pursue her right because barney coming in in the clutch is like hey guess who dropped 
Miss Vivian off at home. Barney's the reason it all works out. Yeah. Barney's the real He's the MVP. real hero. <laughs> Where's his happy ending? Where's his happy ending? I don't know. He gets to manage his beautiful hotel, I guess. He kind of feels like he's yeah. needed in his own right. It's his little domain. Tell you what. Tell you what. If Hollywood... Uh, okay. So if major studios decide that they, uh, they have, they've already rebooted everything else, they do a Pretty Woman too. I, I just want it to be... I don't want to see Richard Gere and Julia Roberts' characters again. I want to see Barney running his hotel... And like mm-hmm. some other like starstruck lovers that he has to like manipulate behind see, the scenes. <laughs> I want to see Barney fall in love with a beautiful man who comes and stays at the hotel. Mm. That's what I want to see. That'd be fun. Yeah. Like maybe some other person who somehow managed to rise above his clasp and they both have this deep understanding of what the trenches were like. And they just develop this really deep mutual respect that grows into yeah. adoration. But at first they, they hate each other. Yeah, maybe that would be, that Some would be nice. Hate in the lovers. way that Barney could hate, which is sure, mildly sure. irked. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, uh, like a rival. Mm, yeah. Like a, like a, exactly. a competing hotel manager. <laughs> oh my God. I would totally <laughs> watch this movie. <laughs> or like a, a particularly cantankerous, like head chef. Oh, yeah. Somebody who's hired by someone who owns the hotel. Mm-hmm. And Barney's like, this guy. Mm-mm-mm. And then at the end, they open a bed and breakfast. <gasps> oh, my God. I love it so much. <laughs> Can they have pet donkeys? Just say yes. You know what, Kate? Yes, Matt? They absolutely can. <laughs> oh! <laughs> okay. I'm shipping them. Yep. The, cool, cool, cool. The, the Barney and this imaginary character that we've just made Maybe up it's is... Barney and Daryl. Maybe Daryl, the, uh, the chauffeur. Mm. Maybe they grow into a deep relationship together. Yeah. Or, you know, the new head chef that Barney's like, mm, this guy's too fiery. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> can't do it. <laughs> he doesn't have my... Uh... At first he can't stand the food. <laughs> too spicy <laughs> yeah it's too <laughs> it's, it's too much it's too hot for him to handle it's too much mm-hmm. yeah it's a metaphor yeah. <laughs> they have to meet somewhere in the middle exactly i love it they have to find the right cuisine speak the right language mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then we could do the tango to for una cabeza yes for a beer <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Al Pacino was almost in this movie. Oh my gosh, it was hilarious. I was talking to someone over the weekend because I was at a friend's giving and we were talking about our favorite movies and his favorite movies that he listed were all very manly, like masculine movies. He's like The Godfather Part 2 and Gladiator. And then his third one, he was like, I don't know, not many people have seen this. I don't think you'll know about it. I was like, fucking try me. It was Scent of a Woman. And I was like, ha! <laughs> <laughs> Al Pacino, I know that one. Por una cabeza. Of course, um, <laughs> he speaks Spanish mainly as his first language. Yeah. And I understand more Spanish than I'm willing to say out loud because mm. I sound very white. I cannot roll my R's. 
And mm-hmm. one of the main phrases that is like the only thing I'll ever say is glad of KC. So I just said that to him all night and he laughed. <laughs> so <laughs> for yeah. the record, I don't know if we said this on stream, but we, we do know what Port Unica Besa means now. We do. <laughs> we did look that up. However, <laughs> it's, it's four know. ahead. Um, and it's like, uh, like kind of like when you, if it's from like horse racing or something, and it's like when you, you oh. just barely win by a head, right? So gotcha. when something's like a near thing. But I mixed it up with cerveza instead of cabeza, and I was like, ah, it's for a beer. And now I just think it's funny. Yeah. But yes, Matt is right. (laughs) Just because Um, that's, I think this, I think this episode is going to come out like right after the True Lies one. So, (laughs) (laughs) so it'll be fresh in a lot of listeners' memory. (laughs) Yes, this is true. Um, let me see. What else do we have to say about Pretty Woman? Ooh, fun, interesting thing about sex work, because it's so fun to talk about. Um, there was an economist named Robin Hansen who actually suggested that legalizing prostitution may solve what he called the problem of inceldom. Like the whole incel movement about, yeah, the incel thing where... When was this? 2018. Who, Who said this? Robin Hansen, an economist. An economist. Mm hmm. That's the most incel shit I've ever fucking heard. (laughs) (sighs) Yeah. You know, if you just make prostitution legal. Yeah. Not that I'm against legalizing sex work or prostitution or any of that. Not educated enough to say. I have no, I have no like bias about, like, about it generally. That I'm like conscious bias, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but just for an economist to say that, mm-hmm. that that's that's fucking guys are fucking. It weirdo. seems <laughs> very very off. Seems a little out of touch, right? Yeah, like it's a misunderstanding of sex work, and it's a misunderstanding of the incel culture, if you could call it culture. It's really just, it's yeah, super toxic thing the whole sex work thing is interesting too because i don't i don't think prostitution is the good name for it anymore i'm pretty sure it's sex work right like mm-hmm. it, you want it to, to be represented as work and a vocation yeah um, well i think i think sex work is is like a broader term that covers a, a lot broad of term other types of work rather than like a woman who sleeps with people for money or this a man is fair, who right? With like for money, selling right? your nudes and you know, right? That all counts as sex work. Like only fans would count like as sex work. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, oh, I think I had interrupted earlier by myself because I'm very distractible. But we were talking about how a lot of the regulation around sex work, a lot of the the sort of language about it, it's not about helping the women; it's about controlling mm. sex. And they yeah. use a lot of the same sort of fear-mongering language that people use when they're like, save the children, right? And a lot mm-hmm. of it is based on this idea that a bunch of people are human trafficked, which is really yes. interesting because the idea of how much human trafficking happens, like, I'm going to say unequivocally, human trafficking is fucking horrible, right? Mm-hmm. When it happens and it is a large world and I know it happens, it is awful, However, it is not nearly as widespread as people would have you believe. And 
largely the numbers that represent uh, the, the numbers they use to represent human trafficking are inflated because of poor, poor measurements and lots of stuff. And so they use this as a motivator for or like a justification for these archaic rules and laws like now it's a felony or you can't whatever, whatever. If you want to learn more about it, I would talk about it more. But the podcast you're wrong about has an excellent episode on human trafficking. And it's one of my favorites. And they talk about a lot of really difficult topics. And they do they do them really good justice. And I highly recommend listening to the human trafficking one because I learned a lot. So yeah, absolutely. it's just one of those things. Yeah, it's, it's weird how often that kind of thing is about control rather than about you know, improving the lives of people. <laughs> always? You mean yeah. always? <laughs> yeah, just always. Yeah. And, you know, you, you, you pick this, you pick this narrative to fight against, and then you use that to do things you wanted to do anyway. Right. So, yeah. so much of legislation around this is not about protecting women. It's about controlling women. And it's also about sort of a puritanical response to sex, right? There's nothing yeah. inherently wrong about someone selling sex for money. I think, obviously, this is my hot take. Um, if everyone involved is doing so consensually, right? And from a position of independence and power, right? How is that any yeah. different than me going and selling my time, you know, paving roads or cooking or whatever, right? I'm selling my time and my skills and essentially my my physical labor, right? But because we live in a society that's terrified of sex, all of a sudden it's evil and it can't be done. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um but it is done. I think I think the one of the most recent studies showed that about 15 to 20% of men in the country have actually engaged in commercial sex. Like they have solicited sex. That is a large number. It is right. That's and one in five men. It is. And another thing that does not get consideration a lot is there are certain subsets of people who cannot or have a much more difficult time experiencing the physical intimacy of sex that because a lot of times if you I was reading a lot and I'll actually link this really long study or several of them in the episode notes but they were basically surveying men to ask why right why are you seeking sex from a sex worker and one of the things that a lot of the men said was intimacy they wanted closeness they wanted it's not just, you know, I mean, sometimes it is. Sometimes they wanted to try something different. They wanted to be with someone different than they'd been with before. Or they wanted the opposite, which is they wanted sex without intimacy, which is what mm -hmm. Richard Gere starts this movie doing, right? Yeah. Um, but a lot of them also just want intimacy. And one of the things that doesn't get talked about a lot that I think needs to be considered is the fact that there are subsets of our population that have a difficult time finding women to engage with in this way, right? There's uh, members of the disabled community that are too embarrassed, right? Or that have different needs or more, you know, need more patience or they, it's a difficult topic, right? It's much yeah, harder to absolutely. be like, okay, I'm paralyzed from this point to this point of my body, but this part still feels good. It's sometimes just a lot easier to be like, yes, here's a person that I trust 
that I have this, you know, financial relationship with that takes care of me in this way and makes me feel good, you know? Um, you know, a lot of escorts sell the girlfriend experience, which is I just want to be loved and accepted for who I am, you know? And I want you to pretend to, to be my girlfriend. So it's not, I don't know. I think there are a lot of really lonely people and there are a lot of people who would really enjoy and do really enjoy providing these services, right? On the other hand, because it's not regulated and because it's something that can be controlled by men like pimps or mm -hmm. things like that, you have women falling into these pits where they can't control their own agency and they're just being used. And so me personally, I'm super pro-legalization if that didn't come across. So Yeah. Yeah. Like I think, yeah, I definitely lean that way. I'm just not educated enough to like make that statement like personally yeah. for me right i can't be like yeah do the thing because i'm you know i'm kind of an idiot yes but you're a questioning idiot so it's a good yeah. it's a good kind <laughs> <laughs> also i don't think you're an idiot i'm just parroting your words back i will say i think you're one of the smartest and most awesome people i know so tell me more <laughs> <laughs> i think it takes a lot of intelligence and insight and curiosity to admit something like that about yourself to say i don't know that's one yeah. of the smartest things you can say so Ultimately, I think it's very strange that this movie was as popular as it was and yeah, well, as commercially successful so as it was. I have I have a couple of thoughts on that, right? Okay. Like in, in terms of the success of this film. I think the subject mm -hmm. matter makes this film weird that it was mm -hmm. so successful. Um, on the other hand, the, the, the writing in this film and like the structure of it, the editing, the sound design. The pacing like all, is good. Yeah, the pacing of this film is excellent. And like the way the story is told, it unfolds masterfully. It's a masterfully the arc told is good. story. The, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I think like there are a few like things that are missing, but like in terms of like just providing a like a, a full experience of watching a film you, mm -hmm. that you get with the res with a with a satisfying ending. Um the way it establishes the characters the most efficiently of like any mm -hmm. movie I, I think we've covered on this show. Mm -hmm. um, the first scene with Richard Gere, you know exactly who he is. The first you scene do. with Julia Roberts, you know exactly who she, she is. And mm -hmm. you, you see how their worlds will collide and how they're alike and how they're different right away. Mm -hmm. So everything about this film is just really masterfully told. There's just a few things that are like inherently, that are inherently weak with this film. Mm -hmm. It does not feel like it was two hours long. No, no. It, it had the pacing of a 90-minute movie. It really did. It was very yeah. well done. And Julia Roberts is beautiful. Richard Gere is beautiful. They're beautiful together. You want them to be together, right, from mm -hmm. the very beginning. Even before they actually meet each other, you're like, yes, this needs to happen. I know where this is going. Yeah. They're careening towards each other. I felt the age difference was a little weird, but like... That's like, that's like all fucking movies. Yeah. It's always like a middle-aged dude with like a really young woman. And that's just like mm -hmm. super common. And like, just, I don't know. <laughs> if everyone's into it, power fine, dynamic. but I find it weird. Yeah. Again, it's another ish. It's another example of the power dynamic. Yeah. Like, I don't imagine when I'm 40 years old, I'm going to have anything to talk about with someone who's 21. I just don't. Mm -hmm. I have trouble with it now. Right? Maybe it's that he has such poor social skills because his whole life has been consumed by business. 
Mm. You can make some sort of arguments in that regard, right? It's sort of like Now that would have been doctors. interesting. It would have been really yeah. interesting to inf infantilize the man instead of mm -hmm. the woman for once. And like, he's just a hopeless, useless, whatever. And then mm -hmm. you, you have the battle of like, you know, your lover's not your fucking mom. So oh. like... That's too real. Right? It's too close to reality. <laughs> <laughs> Which is something that I see happening like a lot, especially like in, in real stories life. where like, uh, sure, real life <laughs> stories. I don't want to call anyone out, right? But like, <laughs> but like you know, like where the 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 woman is supposed to like take take like the woman who works all day and does all the housework and oh, like, yeah. the man doesn't. Everybody do loves Raymond. Right? Yeah, like that thing. Mm -hmm. It's like they that would be you know. Yes, he can be infantilized a little bit, but like Julia Roberts' character shouldn't be Gear's mother in that relationship. Right. And that would be the trap that I think a lot of a lot of lesser writers might fall into writing mm. that story. We're made to believe that he falls for her because of her radical departure from what he's used to. Yeah, she's new and fresh. Mm -hmm. So what happens when she's not so new and fresh no more? I don't know, right? Yeah. And they do share things with each other. And maybe he shares things with her because he feels like she's temporary. And that mm -hmm. sort of tricks him into thinking like, okay, I'm going to share things about my father with you that I would never have told any of my actual girlfriends because I have this wall, but you're my employee. So I could see maybe it's some sort mm -hmm. of like secret backdoor into his heart. Yeah. Or whatever. Well, it certainly functions that way. Right. So. Mm -hmm. I'm just trying to think of ways that make it okay that he's 40 years old. <laughs> it's he's funny because, uh, yeah, on the movie posters, they actually have his hair brown, <laughs> which is hilarious because he's all gray in the movie. Yeah. yeah. There were some inconsistencies that I caught for in a cinema sin way. Like the day after they first get together and she comes out with her red hair and she's in the, the, um, bathrobe she sits at the table and she's eating a croissant and then like a frame later she's eating a pancake and i'm like ha that's nah. the wrong carb <laughs> but I, I found a couple of things like that like the mm -hmm. the coat she's wearing at the very beginning is really long and then somehow they switch it to a much shorter red coat and mm -hmm. stuff like that but ultimately yeah it's a it's a well executed film yeah, it, mechanically everything is is solidly solidly, and it it does not treat women as horribly as you would think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, outside of the poor representation of the subject matter, right? Um, like the the women in the film are not explicitly treated poorly because they are women, and when they are, it's because it's 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 definitely seen it's as a bad, a bad thing. thing, right? Right. When uh. Uh, Jason Alexander's character, um, George Costanza, Stucky. Mm -hmm. uh, when when he when he treats Julia Roberts bad, like it's seen as a bad thing. It's a bad so, thing, and it's played as a bad thing. In fact, Richard mm -hmm. Gere gets really upset about it, and they have a little little fisticuffs. Yeah, kinda. <laughs> Wouldn't it been amazing if Barney did that instead. <gasps> that would have been amazing. That's in the second one. And it turns out Barney's just like badass. <laughs> yeah, he actually was an underground boxer, and that's how right. he earned money to get yeah. his first hotel manager suit. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure how that works. The origin story of, of Barney. Barney. 
Yeah. It's actually not going to be a sequel. It's going to be a prequel. Hell yeah. Um, it's going to be pretty Barney. <laughs> um, pretty man. Pretty man. So this is really more of a critique on Hollywood as a whole. Julia Roberts is beautiful and flawless, at least in this film, right? From the very beginning mm-hmm. when we see her wearing very uncomfortable underwear to sleep in, which seems very unrealistic to me, but I digress. Uh, you know, it pans up her body and she's like, look at me with my lithe body and my perfectly flat stomach and whatever, whatever. Because of this, I went looking for, I was doing other research and looking for, you know, the prevalence of sex work in the 80s and 90s, especially in Hollywood, because they mentioned that it's the red light district and in um, Beverly Hills and et cetera. And I found a photographer who actually would just go out and hire um, prostitutes to take photos of. And so I may, I may include a link to some of his photos because they're very interesting and sad and much less. Well, I won't say sad is probably a little bit accurate, but they're very real, right? Mm -hmm. Like what it actually looks like to be a woman who lives this lifestyle, especially at the time, which is not an easy one. Right. And they look like women. They have stretch marks and, you know, sometimes their breasts are droopy and some, sometimes they just look really sad. And one of them has like kittens on her and like, it's, you know, just a whole, a whole kaleidoscope of humanity, which is nice. So imagine Sean Connery being, uh, Edward. Sean Connery. (laughs) No, I I don't think that would have worked. Or Jodie Foster being Vivian. Weird. Okay. Weird stuff. I could see Jodie Foster more than I could see Sean Connery. I think it's just interesting because I think they struck gold with the chemistry. I really do. Like I'm trying yeah, to, the, I'm trying yeah, all the different perfect. combinations of the men and women who were considered for the roles. And I'm like, no. Mm-mm. Yeah. Casting was doing a good job on that one. <laughs> well, it sounds like it happened a lot by accident because a lot of uh, like <laughs> Julia Roberts was nowhere near the first person they considered. Women right. turned it down. Women didn't, it didn't work out. The only reason Christopher Reeve turned it down is because Julia Roberts wasn't there to read with him. And apparently the person who was reading it, reading her part did such a bad job. Christopher Reeve ripped up the script and walked out. Oh, wow. Yeah. I was like, okay. okay. That's, cool. <laughs> that's one way to. You could just say, no, thank you. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Send a follow-up email. Send a follow-up email. To whom it may concern. No, thank you. Yeah. (laughs) So this is the first time you've seen it as an adult, which is cool. There's no nostalgia for you to be ruined. Not really none whatsoever. Yeah. What do you think? How salty am I about this film? Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, a little salty. Yeah. I'm not super salty. Certainly not as salty as I was over Doubtfire or... True lies. Yeah. Like more salty than hocus pocus, right? I would I would put me at like a, a table salt. Right. <laughs> like, like, like a French fry. It's salty. Yeah. Still kind of tasty. That's fair. I can't decide. I feel like it's almost the same as Hocus Pocus for me, but I guess mm. Hocus Pocus was a little bit less problematic. I don't yeah. know. But I think for me it's it's the poor de- depiction of of sex work and prostitution that really makes this film like worse than hocus pocus it's interesting because it is at least represented and she is the good person yeah but it does vilify drug use and other things that are 
uh, associated with. It, it doesn't vilify our hero, but it mm-hmm. does do a good job of vilifying the profession mm-hmm. and like other girls in the profession. Like yeah, she's too good for this. Yeah. She doesn't do drugs. So like she's a good one. Right. Mm-hmm. Whereas like Kit's kind of iffy and unreliable and all these other you know, all these other hookers just going up on the, all the crack and just dying on the streets everywhere. You oh, know? yeah. So getting it, in the way. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm salty. It's still a, a, a very entertaining film, interestingly told. I think it lacks POC representation, and it certainly is poor when it comes to representing sex workers. An accurate portrayal of sex work and society. Yeah. It's it's also just classes as fuck, right? Yeah. That's oh, really yeah. where the, my the saltiness film, comes the in. The film really looks looks down on working lower and working classes. Yeah. Like all of a sudden you get to wear all these fancy clothes, all of your problems are gone, none of your trauma mm-hmm. exists anymore, because now you have a really giant bathtub, right. you know. Right, and, and that's the thing of, that makes life better. It's not that money <laughs> solves problems. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> or the, gives access or provides opportunity. <laughs> Um, the phrase that I came up with the other day, because I was talking to someone about the whole, so it's money doesn't buy happiness, right? But poverty certainly buys suffering. So mm. that's what I, that's my go-to now. Because it's true, right? If you have economic desperation, your level of stress is just constant and you can't get out. You can't, you're trapped. Mm. You can't get anywhere, right? The fact that $3,000 could demonstrably change this woman's life (laughs) means that she's just on the edge. And so many people, especially now, because this problem has only been getting worse since 1990, people living paycheck to paycheck, even now. So I think that the, with inflation, I think that $3,000 in today's money would be about 6,400. That's a life-changing amount of money for some people, which is absurd because it's not that much money, you know? Yeah. I mean, that doesn't even get you like a car, right? Okay. It'll get you a but, kind of a. It'll get you a crappy used car now because the market on used cars is insane. But mm-hmm. yeah, and interestingly, the original bad ending of the movie was Viv takes the money and she and Kit get on a bus and they're going to Disneyland. Yeah, and Viv is just staring empty, empty, straightforward ahead, mm-hmm. like she's just a husk of a person. And I'm like, wow, that is really depressing. And this is before Disney was producing this that was the writing end and i'm like wow that's a weird that's a weird twist (laughs) a little salty i guess you're right saltier than hocus pocus but still a still a well a well-made and a well-told film well executed i would i would say you know it's worth a watch if no one has if you haven't seen it i've definitely watched way worse films on this show (laughs) it was all about the polo match really i have never seen such a moving depiction of polo I've I've been looking for a long time. I think our takeaway is Barney's the hero of this film. Barney is Bay. Barney is Bay. Hector Elizondo. Oh, well, that was a nice kind of short episode. Yeah. Look, it's shorter than the actual movie. Killing hey. it. Hey. <laughs> You're all welcome. <laughs> all right. Thank you, everyone, for joining us this week on Medium Salt. And check us out on our website, mediumsalt.com. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Cast, which is what I use, Google, or you can join our RSS feed from our website. So check us out, subscribe, 
listen to all of our episodes, play us while you're sleeping because we need those numbers. And as always, stay salty. <laughs>